This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. My name is Carisha Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers at Whole Whale and filling in for George. Great. So today we have Sherry Kwam Taylor, who runs her own consulting firm, um, also named Sherry Kwam Taylor. Sherry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. So today we have you on here to talk about giving USA's 2019's annual report on philanthropy, uh, looking specifically at 2018. Uh, so can you give us a little insight on what the annual giving report actually is and why nonprofits should care about it? Sure, happy to. So in essence, this is an annual report that's published by Giving USA, as you said, and it really digs into the giving trends of the previous year and, and hopes to provide some insight on those factors that actually shape those trends. And so there's comprehensive data on uh, philanthropy for the year, but it also has things like research on on many highlights. In, and there's usually a special section like this one has a, a special se- section on uh, disaster giving and and there's practitioner highlights and things like that. Um, and then there's sections where personally, I really like to look at some of those sub sector trends like uh, giving to arts and uh, health organizations stayed steady this year, but giving grew. Um, for more environmental or animal organizations. And so it, it's good to kind of get that feeling of, yeah, that, that's kind of what we're seeing too, or, or well, really, I, I'm not seeing that. Um, but I would say the, the biggest thing, uh, which we're going to be talking about today, is uh, that everybody's talking about, and, and if you Google the report, you will find tons of, tons of blogs and responses um, you know, from other people in the industry. Uh, the report notes that individual giving is down. And so in essence, uh, everybody thinks the sky is falling, um, <laughs> but, but that's not really the case. And so, you know, we'll talk a little bit about, about maybe why that's not the case today. Right. So yeah, let's jump right into it. Why cool. is it the case? Can you talk a little bit about what exactly the trend is and the data backing it up? Yeah. So, you know, when we think about is, is this important for, for nonprofits to really look at or, or read or, you know, be interested in? And I'd really say, in my opinion, um, there's something really great about it. And then I would also, I would caution people too in the industry as we really try to translate the report into something we can truly use to grow our nonprofits. And so first, let's just kind of dig through the great part of, the, of why I think it's a part of it is great. Yeah. Um, in, in the work that I do, uh, you know, I, I primarily teach small and mid-sized nonprofits how to start securing larger gifts from from individuals. And so in that space, I do see the need for a deeper commitment to annual planning and and probably especially development planning. And so overall, I encourage nonprofit leadership to take the time each year, you know, press that pause button and really review the industry trends, you know, for a few reasons, but it's so important for us to take that time and pause and reflect and plan and not just be on that spin cycle that that oftentimes we're in when you know we're working for for understaffed organizations and and I'd also say that it's it's healthy to compare ourselves um, to others in your space and have discussions with them and and know yeah. where you stand and and dare I use the word you know your competition know where know you know maybe what you're what you're feeling that's a little bit different than the people down the road and so to me it's a 
it's a great time for an executive director or a development director to really ask yourself, um, how can I use the data of my industry as a whole, you know, in this report, and then the metrics of my own organization to really prioritize my time and then uh, and allocate the resources that are available to me to really get the biggest bang for my buck in fundraising. And yeah. so that's really, I mean, you know, that's just healthy, right, in, in any area of our life to really take a, take a pause and, and plan and look at that. Um, you know, I would, on the cautionary side, uh, let's mm -hmm. just dig right into it here, um, Karisha. So the, um, the statistic that has everybody up in arms is really saying that uh, individual giving uh, declined in, you know, by 1.1%. So they've, they've given an adjusted uh, for inflation number of 3.4%. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the blame for this, uh, I'm kind of doing air quotes, reduction in giving, um, is being put on the the donor advised funds, right? And, the, and, and, and you hear people saying like, oh, individual giving is down because people are putting their money in a donor advised fund. And to that, I would say, well, not so fast because, you know, is giving really down in the traditional sense of the word? Mm -hmm. And so through all of this, um, I've, I've stayed close to a colleague of mine who, who manages wealth for, for many individuals, which naturally makes him a, an expert in, in donor advised funds. And um, he helps me, a person who, um, you know, is not a wealth advisor and does not speak that language, um, really understand that world for my clients. And so he's consistently reminding me that, that the economy has been strong and people have a lot of cash right now and reports are showing that people are spending a lot of money right now. And so obviously what, what's happening is, is naturally their stocks are doing fantastic. And so they have lots of capital gains. And so to reduce those gains are obviously um, taking that stock from their fund and moving it into a donor advised fund. And so um, have donors just stopped giving? You know, no, they are making adjustments because there are now greater tax incentives. And so what they're doing by moving it into a donor advised fund is they're allowing their future giving to be more flexible. And so what I mean is when the tax code changed, the industry of donor advised funds, they were smart. They took advantage of that change. They started marketing this idea of, of bunching. And so what bunching means is, is simply doubling up on your contributions in one year, immediately receiving the tax deduction, and then giving away these funds to the charity of your choice over 24 months. So with this, um, you know, people who maybe were giving to a charity annually and directly, they may have put the money in, in a DAF. Um, and then perhaps the, that fund is, is not paying out as regularly. And, and my colleague said that the donor advised fund he works most closely with has an average payout rate of, of 15%. And, and that's high in the industry. So that's super interesting. Um, so I guess I'd say it's important to remember uh, a donor sets up a donor is buys fund, um, you know, mostly because they found a wonderful tax deductible opportunity. It's not necessarily necessarily because they want to be philanthropic. And so, I would just caution. This is kind of my caution to 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 answer this is, I would say to fundraisers that we shouldn't use this as an excuse. The sky is not falling. Uh, and I think the the donor is buys fund is being treated a little bit as a scapegoat for this. You know, percentage drop. And so what I would tell everybody listening to this would be, 
uh, you know, don't just look at this report, take the numbers at face value and think, oh no, you know, we're gonna lose our individual donors. Um, take the report, speak to industry professionals who are dealing with things like this, you know, and whatever the trend's gonna be next year, my advice would be the same, uh, and really take it as a learning opportunity. And so I, I would suggest, um, you know, perhaps an alternate view that this is like really great information to have because now we know exactly what to do in 2020 to actually access those funds, uh, which, which, is, which is great. Now, oh, we know where they are. We know how we can get access to them. I can share a little bit about my advice in that area. But I would say, you know, start focusing on talking to the donor who controls those funds and stop worrying about where the money is actually sitting or where it's coming from. And so I think there's, there's good and good and I wouldn't say bad, but good in caution, right? When, when, when taking a report like this and, and just saying, oh no, you know, like let's dig into it and really listen to what the trends are telling us and, and, and reaching out to people when we don't completely understand parts of it. Yeah. So I'll be honest, I've never really gone into any reports, especially regarding philanthropy and giving. But what it sounds like is that yeah, it might look like individual funding is going down, but it also seems like overall giving is up. Would right. You that's also true. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I, to, to me, it's, it's we, we always kind of take the number that's down and panic a little bit about it. But, <laughs> you know, I would say in my day-to-day -day walk with nonprofits, like I see lots of money being left on the table. And so to me, I continue to see opportunities to where leaders of nonprofits can, can really invest in themselves, help them understand how they can, you know, be better solicitors or be better cultivators. Because I, I see that it's still obviously a strong economy, but that it's, there's money, you know, and perhaps um, it's, it's more of a how, how we're going about it versus uh, more of a numbers game. Yeah. And I think also the important part is kind of finding that gap where even though individual donations are down, overall giving is up, like we said before. So how do nonprofits, especially looking to fundraise, find that, that gap in getting that kind of money? Right, right. Maybe what you're asking is like, how do we take this information and then move forward uh, exactly. in 2020 with, like, you know, which efforts do we prioritize or, um, you know, how do we diversify that sort of thing? And I think for, for a little context, so I specifically work with um, leaders and founders of small and mid-sized nonprofits. And I, I specifically uh, work with uh, helping them kind of get off of that spin cycle of only small gifts and pivot up into these larger gifts that, that we're talking about. And so the leaders I work with um, are amazing experts in their field. You know, these are the the doctors, lawyers, pastors, teachers, social workers who, who saw a need and raised their hand and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to help. I, I, see, I see an issue and I, 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 can, I can make a dent in this and I'm going to start a nonprofit. Um, but typically they are amazing subject matter experts on their missions. But when it comes to individual donor fundraising, they've just never been trained on how to do it. And so it feels uncomfortable. It feels frustrating. And then they tend not to to, to do it. They tend not to go and do solicitations and, and meet with people who can uh, give them the size gifts we're talking about that would come out of a, of a DAF. 
And so, you know, I, I really want to guide them to how to find how to find a, a large gift, how to lead that donor, and then eventually how to solicit. So in that context, that's about that kind of profile, um, you know, about 77% of the 1.5, 1.6 nonprofits in America are under that $1 million threshold. And so, so when we lay that that group, I mean, the majority, frankly, of nonprofits, you know, when we look at that and we say, you know, another thing to lay on top of this discussion is, is this really, and um, to access this money that might be in a, a donor advised fund, the fundraiser has to know how to ask for these funds from an individual who, who really is to still in control of their money, even though it is in, in a donor advised fund. So so we're talking today and you know, we're worried about individuals giving less, but you know, like, like I said, I see so much money left on the table and, and, and I want fundraisers to hear that they do have way more control of the timing um, and the, the amount of the gift than they think they do. Um, and so I really coach uh, leaders to, to lead and to, to guide the discussion and push into those harder discussions and those what I would call investment level discussions, kind of business person to business person, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's a great transition into talking more about your work and what you do. What yeah, you want to give sure. Yeah. Happy to. Thank you. So, um, you know, I think like, I guess I, what I see most often with kind of that small profile is, you know, I love working with the smaller nonprofits and because they are doing amazing sacrificial work you know these are inspiring leaders who have sometimes left the previous career and gone into to this new mission or a new career and so but but yet I, I i talk to them who are doing amazing work and they're you know they're, they're struggling to secure to, to gather funding from individuals and so and, and i find Krisha, it's often because they're kind of trying all the things right and, and it's okay they, they've never needed to know how to do this until this point right and so it's um, should we have a gala? Should we do a 5k? Should we do a golf outing? Should we wait, wait, we need to do giving Tuesday, you know, or let's just apply for grant. Right. And, and sometimes that's really coming from the pressure of, of board members. Um, the caution and the, the pivot that I help people make is, you know, those types of fundraising activities really that the time that, that is put in so greatly outweighs the money raised, sadly. And, um, and a lot of those types of kind of grassroots or more transactional activities, they don't yield the size donations that, that a small or mid-sized nonprofit really needs to grow. And so right. financially, you know, they've, they're exhausted, um, but they still need more money, right? And so, you know, most importantly, I would say a lot of these types of activities are very transactional in nature and they're not, uh, they're not point, the compass is not pointed then at like really deep uh, relationship building. And so if you look at that traditional giving pyramid, you know, at best, I mean, this is being really generous, you know, 25% of the gifts might be coming from these types of grassroots activities, but, you know, we want really 50 to 75% coming from like a top 30 donor portfolio. And so, especially if we're talking in the context of these donor advice funds, which you have to have a relationship with the person who's who in essence has the, the strings to say, yes, I, I want to give, um, you know, $10,000 to your organization. And so I see, I see nonprofits spending the majority of their time and budget or resources 
on fundraising activities that actually lead to small gifts. And so, you know, my message and, and my methodology and probably my soapbox is that, you know, this tells me that nonprofits really need to learn how to pivot up into these larger gifts. And those are the gifts that you're going to feel every month on that bottom line. And it's so important. And how do, especially smaller and more medium-sized nonprofits, how do they make that pivot? Yeah. I mean, it's really, a, I mean, a lot of it is a time allocation and that kind of is a simple answer, but you know, a lot of times people will say to me, um, I, I don't, I just, I don't know what I don't know. Like I want to do that, but I don't, I don't know how to move up into that. And so um, a lot of it is making sure we have, you know, your plans established, you're, you're in essence able to present your organization. I, I would say like get it investment ready, right? Like I'm, I, I feel really confident. I can sit in front of somebody, not only talk about the crisis we're solving, the problems, the, the programs we're running and where we want to go, but here's the financial need we have and here's what we would do with your gift and then to, to actually be able to report back to them. And so my passion is kind of demystifying uh, this process because there actually really is a step-by-step -step process yeah. to this. And I think if I can be so brave to say, like this probably goes for the board too. I mean, Boards are full of very successful businessmen and women who have scaled corporations, they're community leaders, they're entrepreneurs, but that doesn't mean they, they necessarily know how to ask a donor for $50,000, especially like an individual, right? Right. And so because nonprofit leaders have, you know, they do not have unlimited hours in the day, every hour they do spend fundraising really has to be on the activities that yield the size gifts that are actually going to grow their organizations. And so those hours have to be providing customized, exclusive, warm relationship building activities with your top 30 donors. And so if you want to access these investments that are sitting in donor advised funds, then, you know, you sure as heck better be able to sit down one-on-one, -on -one, you know, with a donor and have an investment level conversation with that donor about the business you're running and the business you're growing and um, why should they give to you what do you, you over somebody else and what are you going to do this year with the money and what's coming next year and what does it look like in three years and so we, we often you know there's a lot of buzz about storytelling and I want I want everybody to be great storytellers um, but we're often having uh, a lot of heart conversations or program conversations or program metric discussions about our organizations but I also want us to pivot into, Tom, could I share with you how we're planning to grow this year? So here's what it looks like. You know, here's how we're funded. Here's how we've been funded last year. In essence, being able to really know your numbers, know what's in your 990, and actually present it in a way that's really focused on the donor. And so if you imagine, you know, one of these holders of a donor advice fund being like a successful uh, CFO of a company, we'd better be able to show that their gift is going to be invested very well, right? Yeah. And I think that also speaks to storytelling too, in a way, just in, if you will, a different language. It's not so much social, but more focusing on the numbers that, like you said, like very successful CFOs, company runners really care about. Right. Um, yeah. Really running your nonprofit like a business. Essentially. There's a lot of truth to that. And, um, you know, the, this, this concept of, um, I, I see a lot of people just avoiding those types of conversations. And, and anytime I speak and, and, and talk about, hey, I want you, 
you know, in front of your top 30 donors, you know, this many times a year and in person, I want you asking in person, there's always somebody who raises their hand and says, you know, but, but could I send an email? Like, you know, but, but, but please don't make me go do that. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I get a lot of, I hate fundraising or I, I'm really bad at fundraising. And, and the truth is they aren't, they just never learned the process to do it before. And so, um, I love watching this pivot happen. Um, it usually happens like halfway through my, my 90 day program where it's like, Oh, I think I can do this. Like, you know, and then watching people go out and really feel like, Oh, well, when I have these tools in hand, I actually feel really good about doing it. And I want to share people what, what our need is. And then getting a couple of successes under your belt um, is, is super great. Right. And it's just a confidence builder. So you know, I would just, as we push into 2020 and we look at this data and, you know, I would just challenge nonprofit leaders and boards to really invest in themselves this year and, and learn how to just be better relationship makers and um, with those types of people who can make investment level decisions, because it's more of a, uh, it's less of a change of um, our individuals giving or not. And it's more of a change of where the funds are being held. And so that, yeah. that, that money is accessible. Right. And so let's pivot and go get it. Right. Right. So in your experience, what are some fundraising best practices that you found really work the best? Data drives fundraising in my world and, and really the discipline to consistently review and interpret the data. And so much of the work, so much of what I work on with organizations is diversification of funds. And so, you know, this report actually should inspire us to keep our, our revenue diverse so that our nonprofit can really ride any wave that the economy or, or the world is, is really going through. And so when I start with nonprofits, there's a, there's a few areas I do a, a health check on. And, um, you know, here, these are kind of some of the best practices when it comes to um, what does that diverse income profile look like? And so, of course, we want diverse funding. And so what do, and I, what do I mean by that? And so I want many different donor segments giving. Of course, we want a breadth of, of all sizes of gifts coming in at different times of the year um, so that we don't have these high spikes and, and low times as well. One metric I'll tell people just to, to hey, go, go run and check this this afternoon. I always check uh, the percentage of your top 20 income sources. Are those more than 50% of your budget? Mm. So, you know, I have a client uh, here in Chicagoland and they, they bring in about $600,000 annually and uh, one of their donors who's a corporate donor gives about 300,000 of that. And while that's an amazing gift, that's also very scary too. And so, you know, their task is, is diversifying so that that is you know, certainly a top gift, but um, they don't fold if that gift goes away, right? Yeah, like all your eggs in one basket. All the eggs in one basket, totally. <laughs> and then I would say that, of, of course, we want um, very relationship uh, driven um, gifts, you know, over those quick fix solutions that we talked about a little bit. Um, I want the majority of the funding for the organization to be unrestricted. Mm -hmm. And that really has a lot to do with how you establish your need, the tools you're using in the solicitation, how you're presenting the overall need of the organization. Um, you know, of course, we want our donors giving every year. I always say that we're going to, we're going to really lead your donors and create a plan that they would be giving you their best gift and that they would be giving that gift to you every year. And so it's, it's, it's the fundraiser's job really to get 
the donors into that annual fund mentality. And so sometimes I'll hear, yeah, I don't know, that donor gave us $10,000 last year and I just didn't hear from them this year. Mm-hmm. And, and I really hear in that is we didn't lead the donor on a donor experience that then would, would have satisfied their need last year and right. would propel them to give again this year, right? Two last ones would be, um, we talked a little bit about, yes, I want people's hearts deeply tied to what you're doing. I want them making heart-based decision um, decisions to give to the organization. But sometimes people are less heart-making, heart heart-decision-making heart people, right? And so not just the metrics based on, you know, your programmatic, programmatic metrics of this many people graduated or, you know, this many people made this life change, whatever it is, but really those, those metrics that, that really show the business that you're growing, that it is a good investment and how you're funded and all of those sorts of things that, that really are represented on a 990. Um, and then lastly, which is one that's really interesting and, and kind of takes us back to this uh, donor advice fund conversation mm-hmm. would be, I want the majority of the funding coming from single source decision makers. So what I mean by that is I want you to be able to pick up the phone and call Sue, right? And so often, you know, so that's obviously individuals. That's, that's the people who have put the money in these donor advised funds that might look more like a, a private family foundation versus, you know, a public more application-based foundation. Um, it looks from a business and corporate perspective, it looks more like the private business owner, maybe more mid-scale business versus the giant corporation with the giant application process. And what's interesting is these are these are the uh, the the donor segments that I see people terrified of because you've got to go form relationships with them um, and focus on them and serve them and understand what they value and um, you know it's a very customized type of experience, but that is that's a super important thing to be tracking. And I'll even suggest to people, hey, make a make a field in your donor management software. You know, is this a single source decision maker? And make sure the majority of your giving is coming from someone who you have access to, and it's not all committee based. Quick quick thing, I have a client here in Chicagoland, and um, you know they've been funded by a, a, a large foundation for many years. You know, really star students, if you will have won awards and, and such, but you know, they didn't get funding from, from this public foundation this year because, you know, the news says they need to be funding something else. And so, you know, the, the tone of the board has shifted and new people are on it and, um, you know, there's new ideas. And so what perhaps they've had been funding for decades can shift, right? And so that's, that's less likely to happen when you are really dealing with, with more of a, a single single entity or single connection, I'd say. Yeah. And I think you touch on a good point on retention, especially of these large gift donors. Do you have any like top two or top three tips on how, once you get these top donors, how do you keep them? Oh my goodness. Carisha, you just asked me my my favorite question here. (laughs) Okay. So thanking. Can we just talk about this a second? So I have one rule when it comes to thanking, because to me, thanking sets mm-hmm. you up for donor retention. It sets you up to have that donor giving the following year, right? Yeah. And so my one rule is exceed expectations. Like if I get somebody saying, oh my goodness, Sherry, you didn't have to do that. Perfect. Because I didn't, but I did, right? And so I'm not talking, you know, buying people gold-plated whatever, but I, what I am saying is, 
exceed their expectations. When, when they get something in the mail, when they get an email from you sharing, uh, you know, the impact of their gift, have them say, oh my goodness, this is crazy. I, because typically what I hear is, I don't get that from the other people I give to, right? <laughs> and so retention can be so strengthened by how you respond to the gift, right? We want to make sure that they're, they're well reported on how their gift was used. A little tip I will give people, you know, and I've talked a little bit today about like leading your donor and how do you lead them to that ask? And then they give, how do you pick that back up to make sure you're leading them to the next gift? And so right. that thank you, um, you know, one line I'll always tell people to use at the end, I'll say, you know, make sure it's not just thanks so much, you know, talk to you later. Not that it says that, but that tone. Um, I'll always say, put something like, you know, our policy is to report or I like to report back in about 90 days on how your gift has been used to do X, Y, and Z. So I'll be in touch here in the next three months. And what did, that, what did I just do? I got back on their calendar because that allows me, okay, now the year's gone, you know, a couple months have gone by. There's a reason why I'm, why I'm reaching back out. And oftentimes people struggle with, well, what am I calling them with? You know, what, what, how am I going to get back in front of them? And it's much easier to call and say, you know, I told you I was going to report just circle back with you briefly and share with you what your gift has been doing. And so, could, you know, can I just stop in for 20 minutes and share with you what that looks like? And, and, and that is leading the donor. And so that would be my, my biggest, biggest um, uh, suggestion, I guess, or um, advice on retention is, is really in thanking. And, and sadly, I, I see the, the thanking bar lower than I would like it to be. Right. Thank you so much for that. Yes. I'm not done yet. Rapid fire. Rapid fire rap. <laughs> we'll move into rapid fire. I'm just going to ask you rapid fire questions and take about 30 seconds or so to respond. Great. Ready to go? Yeah. Awesome. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? I started using Loom, L-O-O-M, and it allows me to send email responses via video. And so I get a lot of emails from my clients looking for advice on, well, hey, I'm meeting with this donor on Friday. This is the situation. What do I do? And so I was finding, I was typing these books, but it still wasn't like conveying uh, what I wanted to say. And so when I send a video response back, they can hear my inflection. I can do a little bit of role playing. And um, we've actually been really well received. And now you know, if, if you send me an email and you need some some extra advice, you're going to get a video back for me on Loom. Yeah, nice personal touch. <laughs> I try. <laughs> Are there any tech issues you're battling with? You know, less battling and more learning, and that's probably SEO. You know, I guess I'm trying, you know, my world, I'm trying to demystify uh, major gift fundraising, and I guess personally, I'm trying to demystify the whole SEO thing and really learn what it means to to optimize all the content that I'm putting out into the world. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, what is coming in the next year that you're most excited about? Yeah, I mean, um, personally, I, I'm, I'm excited about a trip I'm taking. My, my siblings and I are taking my father to Norway, uh, which is oh, where wow. his grand, grandfather and, and namesake immigrated from. And so we still have family there and we will be climbing Kwa Mountain, which is a, a family fjord. So that's coming up here. And uh, that's really what I'm looking forward to this year. Yeah. Awesome. Talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that shapes the way that you do things now. So 
uh, out of college, I, I loved my first job. I, I still have like best friends from there to this very day. And so I was, and I was there for about 10 years. And I think like looking back, I, I was very emotionally tied to that job, you know, it meant so much to me. And I also think it, I, then I kind of responded emotionally. And I, I think at, at times I feel like looking back, I lost some objectivity in decision-making and that sort of thing. And so I'm much more, I'm totally fine with, with emotion in the workplace, but I think it was a little too much. And, but I, but I, I had to try to take a much more uh, even killed approach these days. Yeah. It's a very fine line. Yeah, it really is. Do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business? Yeah, I, I really do. Uh, I've, I've seen this done well and, and not so well. Probably everybody can say that. I'm kind of watching this unfold right now with a client of mine who's, who's started his organization and um, it's a big mission, but it's actually a very reachable mission. And so part of his strategy um, in, in designing his nonprofit is that he does so well that he actually, it actually puts him out of business, if you will. So um, yeah, I, I think it can be done successfully. Imagine you have a hot tub time machine back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you give yourself? Yeah, in general, um, in my career, I just, I wish I would have believed in myself earlier. And I kept saying to myself, you know more than you think you know, you know more than you think you know. And, you know, it's easy to say this now is years later, I have clients who are, you know, getting awesome results and securing large gifts. But I would say just, just confidence. Um, and that probably comes with age as well. Uh, but I wish I would have been more confident. Yeah. You know, I have two, two teenage daughters too. And so I'm really, you know, we're in that zone where it's, I'm trying to kind of build those types of things into them. Yeah. That's very important <laughs> for personal experience. Yes. <laughs> what is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? Apologizing. And so I personally have been working on, on saying, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, or, well, I'm just emailing to do this. Uh, and I, I think maybe women do that a little bit more than men, but I would also say, organizations should stop apologizing for what they need. They need to hire staff. They need to spend money on that dreaded overhead word. You know, and the fact that you are scaling a business, that takes money to invest in scaling the business you're running. And so I would say stop apologizing and, and start explaining why you're spending the money to grow the business and impact more lives, push your mission forward. Yeah, that's a good one. Unapologetic, all 20. Yes, yes, 2020. <laughs> No apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you had a Harry Potter wand for the industry. What would you do? Uh, I would remove the misconception about that term overhead and that that fear of the the dreaded percentages conversation because I really feel like that misconception is keeping small nonprofits from investing in their growth. And so when you see that stat, like, you know, 77% of nonprofits in America haven't grown over a million dollars, there's, there's a lot of fear in, can I spend the money? What are the donors going to think? And so you got you to gotta invest to make money. And so I, I remove that dreaded overhead word. And how did you get started in the social impact space? So over 10 years ago, I left my corporate job and um, I had been volunteering for an organization that was doing work overseas and just frankly had a life-changing experience with them. So I joined the nonprofit, worked for them for three years. We tripled its funding in 18 months, which was a bit of a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but I was really crafting uh, the methodology that I teach today. So after three years there, I, uh, I started meeting and talking to other, other people leading nonprofits and, and they were kind of saying, hey, how are you guys how are you guys doing that over there? How are, in essence, how are you pivoting from small gifts to large gifts? 
And I thought to myself, I can actually help other people who were in my position, you know, help them propel their missions forward. And so here I am eight years later, teaching, teaching groups how to scale their funding. And I absolutely love it. Awesome. And last, but most importantly, what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? I love this. So I, my suggestion would be, be a curious learner. And so I, I heard somebody say the other day, well, that's not on my job description. And I thought, wow, like that attitude is really going to potentially have this person miss a growth opportunity. And so my approach when I was, you know, intern two years out of college, I always did more than was on my job description because I was eager and I was curious. And frankly, it propelled my career faster than my colleagues. And so be curious and welcome the fact that someone might want you to do something that, that maybe you didn't think you signed up for. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sherry. <laughs> thank you. It's been fun being with you today, Carisha. Yeah, I think we had a great conversation on uh, how to pivot into getting larger donations, what this annual report in philanthropy means, and a good conversation on donor retention as well. Good. I hope people feel like uh, confident that they, they can move into this in 2020. Yeah, and the sky isn't falling. <laughs> the, sky, the sky is not falling. You are correct. <laughs> uh, and where can people find you? Uh, you can go to my website, which is quamtaylor.com. That's my made it and my married name uh, mushed together. And uh, you can find lots of information on there. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Thanks, Krisha. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast. And consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.